Thank you for joining IRW Coffee Break. This is a podcast series hosted by KPMG IRW specialists within the Washington National Tax Practice to discuss current topics in the field of information reporting and withholding. Every episode will discuss a discrete area of interest in a brief segment. So we invite you to grab a cup of coffee or just get comfortable while we explore all things IRW. Hi, I'm Danielle Nishida, and I'm here with Lori Hatton-Boyd. On this episode, we're discussing the IRW impacts of President Biden's 2023 Green Book that was released last week. The Green Book is the president's proposed changes to the Internal Revenue Code for the upcoming fiscal year. These proposals are merely the administration's goals, but may or may not be enacted. And even if they are enacted, they may undergo substantial changes by Congress before they become law. Nevertheless, these proposals give us insight into this administration's tax priorities for 2023, so they're worth paying attention to. So let's get into the agenda. Looking at the 2023 Green Book, we've got some repeat contenders here and some brand new proposals, but I think the biggest news is what isn't in the agenda this year, and that's the enhanced financial account reporting provision that was proposed in the 2022 agenda. This proposal would have required the reporting of gross inflows and outflows from financial accounts to better enable the government to reconcile a taxpayer's claimed expenses with the activity in the taxpayer's account. Without ever appearing in an actual bill, this proposal caused a massive stir, which was a clear sign of how unpopular this provision was. Therefore, the removal of this provision should be good news to the industry and is a good lesson in why we should pay attention to the administration's agenda, since doing so enables the industry to act before those proposals are actually drafted into bills. Yeah, and I think an important thing here is, as you pointed out, Danielle, this was extremely contentious. um, And... It's interesting how this will play out in the future. You know, does the fact that it's not in this new proposal mean that they've completely given up? Or is it one of those areas in information reporting where we might see something similar in the future sometime? You know, like maybe it was just a little bit too much too soon. So time will tell on that one. And another thing I should point out, another thing that's not included in the agenda, but that is still pending, are the provisions contained in the Build Back Better Act. The president's agenda includes a statement that all revenue impacts are estimated relative to a baseline that incorporates all revenue provisions of the House's version of the Build Back Better Act passed on November 19, 2021. This suggests that the administration still views passing the Build Back Better Act as a possibility for 2023, which means the provisions we've previously been discussing regarding the changes to portfolio interest, backup withholding under Section 6050W, and the application of Section 871M to publicly traded partnerships are also still a possibility despite not appearing in the agenda. So that's what's not in the Green Book. Let's shift to talking about what is. Lori, I noticed a lot of the provisions that were included in last year's agenda but weren't enacted are now returning this year. Yes, that's exactly right. I'll go over several of those. First, we have the proposal for tax rate increases. The proposal includes a corporate tax rate increase uh, from 21% to 28%, and then a proposed increase in the highest marginal rates from 37% to 39.6%. For purposes of information withholding and reporting, this is going to be significant if these changes do make its way through and and are enacted uh, for purposes of withholding under sections 1445 and 1446, because those reference um, back to the corporate tax rate and the highest marginal rate. Then also what we've seen before is the mandatory use of a form W-9 for all reportable payments. So not just interest, dividends, and proceeds from the sale of securities, which we're used to now. I think uh, you discussed this one last time, Danielle. 
Just like last time, we have no stated grandfather relief. Of course, if this did get enacted, we could see regulations that would expand upon some relief or perhaps even in the statute itself. I think some of the things that we've talked about before was relief if a payor has reported payments under that exact same name 10 combination in the past and never received a B notice indicating a name 10 mismatch or the use of the IRS 10 matching system if, if there hadn't been reportable payments or maybe some combination of both of those ideas. The effective date on this proposal is payments after the end of this year. So if there wasn't that kind of grandfather relief, very short timeline to be getting W-9s for all of a vendor payment, for example, just a, a vast number of payees and not very much time from the time if this was enacted until it was effective. And we should note that that relief that we've discussed in the past is relief that we think would be reasonable, not necessarily that we've seen this relief proposed by the government so far. But we would hope Treasury would take into account alternative measures that are probably more effective to actually ensuring better reporting occurs rather than just getting a Form W-9. Yeah, that's a great point, Danielle. And and to your point, these two proposals actually would result in better information than just a mandatory use of a W-9. Um, then just covering some e-filing requirements that we saw before. The proposal would require mandatory electronic filing for certain tax returns if various thresholds have been satisfied related to income, assets, or owners, depending on the exact type of return. For our purposes, it would have a mandatory electronic filing requirement for a Form 1042. Historically, these are only filed on paper. We don't have an electronic process for this form right now, but this proposal would make that mandatory. The effective date for that would be the return filed in 2023, reporting the 2022 income. And I actually think that this is something that would be readily accepted because I get calls all the time with people asking whether they can file this form electronically. So I, I think this is something that, that people are eager to see. You know, the one thing that's surprising to me about that proposal is there really is no soft landing. We go from no electronic reporting option into mandatory electronic reporting, and you would hope that they would provide a year or two giving people a chance to adjust. But maybe that's something they could do in regulations. And then just finally, the taxing of the carried interests as ordinary income. We saw this the proposal last time. It's basically the exact same. The proposal would tax carried interests in investment partnerships as ordinary income, would be subject to self-employment taxes for partners whose taxable income from all sources exceeds $400,000. So the proposal would repeal current section 1061 for all taxpayers if their income exceeds that $400,000 threshold. So while it's not explicit, this phrasing would suggest if you're under that threshold that the current rule would apply. It also doesn't discuss what about non-U.S. partners that, that get these carried interests? I think to the extent those services were performed in the U.S., it would be U.S. source FEDAP income and subject to withholding if there wasn't a treaty that would exempt it. We also saw the return of the FACA reciprocity proposal for digital assets. As you may recall, last year the administration proposed to increase reciprocal reporting for partner jurisdictions with respect to non-U.S. investors that sell digital assets. That proposal is back this year with some updates. Consistent with last year, the proposal would require brokers to report gross proceeds and other information with respect to the sale of digital assets by customers, including the reporting of certain passive entities with substantial foreign owners. While the Green Book doesn't define the term customers, given the administration's stated goal of providing reciprocal reporting to partner jurisdictions in order 
that they could also receive reporting on U.S. taxpayers engaged in digital asset transactions outside of the U.S. through their own FATCA reporting network. We can assume that when they say customers, they're referring to non-U.S. customers. And this approach would be consistent with the discussions held in the OECD regarding the potential to do CRS reporting for digital assets as well. New to this year's agenda, sort of, is a return of the Obama administration's prior proposal to provide full FACA reciprocity. We mentioned last year that it was an unusual move for the Biden administration to seek to request new FACA reporting from partner jurisdictions with respect to digital assets, while only attempting to provide reciprocal reporting with respect to digital assets and completely abandoning any prior goal of providing complete reciprocity, which the United States had originally pledged to provide under the IGAs. The Biden administration now seems to be filling that reciprocity gap present in last year's agenda by reintroducing the proposal to provide general FATCA reciprocity across the board. Specifically, this proposal would increase reporting with respect to accounts maintained in the United States to include account balance information, foreign source income paid to foreign persons, gross proceeds from the sale or redemption of property held in financial accounts held by foreign persons, and reporting with respect to certain passive entities with substantial foreign owners. Given that the current agenda combines the FATCA reciprocity provisions from the prior Obama administration agendas together with the Biden administration's agenda from last year, there really is nothing truly novel about this proposal. Yeah, those are all really good points, Danielle. It would be interesting to know whether this expansion in the information for purposes of reciprocity came about from some type of pushback. If partner jurisdictions saw that Treasury and the IRS were interested in additional information from them when they may have not felt that they had received the information yet that they agreed to under those intergovernmental agreements, or if it's just going back to years ago when, yes, in fact, this is what we agreed to to provide and we're actually just going to get that information now. And it's also noteworthy that we have actually seen the reciprocity proposals again and again, and they haven't actually gone anywhere. So while it is noteworthy that they've added it back into the agenda this year, I think you can draw your own conclusions about the likelihood of it actually making its way into any bills. And then on the converse side, the Green Book also includes a proposal to expand Section 6038D FACA reporting with respect to foreign digital accounts. Um, They define foreign digital accounts as any account that holds digital assets maintained by a foreign digital asset exchange or other foreign digital asset service provider. And before I send off any alarm bells using the phrase expanded FACA reporting, I just want to clarify Section 6038D reporting refers to the reporting that the account holders themselves are required to perform for their own foreign assets. Since the government appears to be seeking to obtain reporting through its FACA IGA network on U.S. persons transacting in digital assets outside of the United States, it's consistent that they would also seek to expand the self-reporting required of U.S. persons with respect to the digital assets they hold outside of the United States, as these are really two sides of the same coin. And then continuing the topic of digital assets, we also see proposals to incorporate digital assets into certain guidance in the financial products arena. Of particular note, the Green Book would amend the securities loan non-recognition rules in Section 1058 to apply to loans of actively traded digital assets recorded on cryptographically secured distributed ledgers, provided that the loan has similar terms to those currently required for loans of securities. Treasury would also be given the authority to extend these rules to non-actively traded digital assets, as well as other assets such as interests in publicly traded partnerships. 
And finally, the proposal would also clarify that fixed term loans would also be in scope of the securities non-recognition rules if they otherwise meet the qualifications. And finally, I think there's just two other proposals uh, that we're going to cover. And first, that's with respect to expats. Certain mark-to-market tax rules apply to expatriates that exceed certain financial thresholds. So when a taxpayer renounces his or her citizenship or abandons a green card, he or she must file a Form 8854 with the IRS. And this gives the IRS the notification that they are renouncing their citizenship or abandoning that green card. So for purposes of taxes, the general statute of limitation applies, and that would be three years from the time the individual filed their tax return. So if the Form 8854 isn't filed, oftentimes the IRS is not aware of the circumstances until it's too late. So for renunciation of citizenship, they do get the information from the State Department. But again, it could be too late by the time they're able to match everything up. And the same with this new FATCA reporting that they're processing now. By the time they get the information and are able to compare it to their files, it might just be too late. So the proposal would change the assessment period from three years from the filing of the tax return to three years from the filing of the Form 8854. So if that person doesn't file that form to notify the IRS, that statute's going to remain open. And then on a positive side, the proposal actually gives the secretary the authority to provide some relief to lower income dual citizens, those so-called unintended Americans. So those persons that didn't know they were U.S. persons, they might have been born here and moved when they were very young and never returned to the U.S. and just weren't aware of this. And and because of FATCA and all this reporting, um, this has really come to light. So anyways, this proposal allows Treasury and IRS to provide some relief if these lower income, and that's not defined, dual citizens can establish that they have fewer ties to the U.S. than that other country in which they're living. And then just finally, another uh, statute of limitation proposal. Uh, As I had said, the general statute of limitations is three years. Uh, There's an increase to a six-year statute of limitation if there's a substantial understatement of income on that tax return. Uh, So that would be 25% of the income is understated on the tax return. And the Green Book proposal would extend the statute of limitation to six years as well if there's more than $100 million that's unreported in income. So that would be in addition to that 25% understatement of income. And the effective date for that would be any returns filed after the date that this would be enacted. And I think that concludes this episode of IRW Coffee Break. We thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to chatting with you again. 